Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to 58, episode 58, that is. Yeah, see, this is a good one. I always screw the show up by myself uh, in the first sentence. So welcome to episode 58 of the Kaiju Cast, uh, a bi-monthly podcast, 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle. I'm actually sitting here alone right now because, uh, unfortunately, I could not have any of my co-hosts come tonight. Just a scheduling issue, really. Uh, we also watched... Rebirth of Mothra last night, which which is the whole point of this episode, the Kaiju Discussion episode for May 2012, and uh, we're going to be talking about that at length in a bit. We kind of went off the rails and uh, really went into this really long discussion, which is pretty cool. So hopefully uh, it makes this episode more than worth it to listen, to just hear the the extremely interesting discussion that came out of that as usual, we do have a little bit of news and a little bit of music to play, starting with The Trouble with Those Mothra Girls by the band Daikaiju, and this is for Thomas. Thank you. 
have it. Our only two songs uh, for the, the beginning of the show, at least. Uh, we started off, like I said, with uh, The Trouble with those Mothra Girls by Daikaiju, which was for Thomas. And uh, then we moved on to an, a song from tonight's movie, Rebirth of Mothra by Toshiyuki Watanabe, which was Battle with the Enemy of Life. And uh, that's all we're playing because, once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast will showcase one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. Uh, I have randomly assigned one movie to each month, thanks to an online tool, solidifying that this show will keep going for a very, very long long time this month we look at uh, as i said rebirth of mothra which in japan was released like mothra just as mothra uh this is very similar to when uh in 1984 when the movie that we commonly refer to as godzilla 1985 or the return of godzilla was released in japan it just had the title godzilla or gojira this movie also just had the title of mothra aka mothra and uh, it was directed by, uh, and bear with me because I don't actually say these these names very much, but it was directed by Okihiro Yuneda and written by Masumi Sutani and uh, Tomiyuki Tanaka also wrote this as well. Uh, it's got uh, music by Toshiyuki Watanabe and the special effects, I don't see who's making those, unfortunately. <laughs> But uh, with all the glitter, I can only assume that it's probably Koichi Kawakita. The film was released in Japan on December 14th, 1996. And I'm happy to say that we had a pretty good turnout here at the KaijuCast HQ to watch this film. Here's how that went down. Here in the high... Let's get that up. That's a good way to start. Here in the Haiju Here the HaijuCast KQ. Yeah. Here in the KaijuCast HQ, we have uh, three of the additional people who have watched Rebirth of Mothra with me here. And uh, those three people are Cindy Okimoto. Say hello. Hello. And uh, I'm actually going to go to Jeff next. Howdy. And then uh, this is a voice we haven't heard for a really, really, really long time. Adam Alexander from The Monster Project has joined us. Welcome. Thank you. And it's good to have you all here. And... uh, yeah, we just finished watching Rebirth of Mothra, the 1996 Toho kitty film. Uh, Jeff, you'd agree it's a kitty film, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But you like it. You're, I mean, you're fond of it. I mean, I enjoy it. I think it's the best of the three Mothra films from the, from the 90s. Um, I mean, it is what it is. It's a kid's movie, and I think, I mean, it succeeds in, in being an entertaining kid's movie, you know, but... uh. It's not something I pop in and watch regularly by any means. Well, you said you only have the uh, subtitled VHS copy of it, right? Yeah, I, I just have yeah VHS copies. I haven't upgraded to DVD. Yeah, and and you know, truth be told, we did not watch the American release of the DVD here. We just watched a fan subbed uh, digital version as well. And you know, I I gotta say, this film is not it's not that terrible. I mean, it's got some things in it. <laughs> it's got some things in it that I really do like a lot, and some things that I just kind of loathe. But overall, I find it an enjoyable film. Uh, Adam, what are your what are your initial thoughts on this film? Well, I had very low expectations. 
uh, Mothra, while a nostalgic favorite, you know, she'd been around for a long time, nonetheless has always been probably the most passive of all the monsters. Uh, not really going to rip and rend and and destroy anything so much as fly around and maybe cause some strong breezes or have a lot of glitter. But uh, so I had low expectations as far as this being a good monster movie. But my initial impression was that it was really well done for what it was in terms of it being a kid's movie that if you're the type who says, I want to minimize the talking people and just have lots of monsters uh, or just a lot of creature special effects action, that's all it is. There's almost no plot other than... Yeah, it did have that. It did in spades. Lots of monster action in spades, for sure. And uh, the the thing that surprised me the most was just how awesome Ghidra was. Oh, yeah. Well, we can... Yeah, we can spend some time talking about how amazing the Death Ghidra costume looks. Uh, Cindy, you'd seen this before. Oh, yes. So initial re initial thoughts on, uh, on seeing Rebirth of Mothra? Um, I agree with Jeff. It's a good kids movie. It's probably not something you want to have an adult nun kaiju fan watch the first time. They're probably going to think, why are you showing me a kids film? Okay. Good to know. Good to know. But no, I think the the Mothra is great. I love the the fact that they had two different, distinctly different Mothra bodies in this one. Oh yeah, the and I I think that the original, you know, the mother Mothra in the in the beginning of the film, that looks to be the same. I don't know if it's the same suit or puppet, but I think it's the same Mothra, continuity wise as the one that appears in. The 1992 Godzilla versus Mothra. I I think so. I think. I mean, right. it looks identical as far as like the coloration, the color patterning, the patterns, right. and the the, the uh, amount of plushiness yes. to it, and you know, uh, the feet. It's got the chicken chicken feet too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I found that interesting, and and Adam, you asked at the beginning before we'd watch before we started watching this is is this in continuity? Mm. And even after watching the film again tonight, I got to say I. I think maybe it is in continuity. There's not a lot of, you know, a lot of human dialogue where people say, oh, what's this monster that's coming out, the Mothra? They did call it a monster, but... But if it wasn't continuity, it occurred to me, Mothra by herself could have been in continuity with those movies, but they would have recognized Ghidra from the earlier, if it was in, you know, continuity with their previous series. Maybe, though, because it's a different Ghidra. This is a four-legged Ghidra that, when it breaks out of the ground, doesn't have wings, and it's essentially kind of just like a three-headed dragon. But so, they still would have said, hey, I've seen something that looks a lot like this before. They may have said that. I don't <laughs> think I've seen that happen in many movies. I mean, there has to be a, definitely a direct uh, continuity kind of thing. Like uh, when in Godzilla versus Gigan, when they recognize that Ghidra is showing up with this new monster Gigan. Mm. But anyway, I I don't. Yeah, I don't know if this is. I mean, it's a kids' film. It clearly is a kids' film. It's got a lot of elements, the same kind of elements that you'd see in a Gamera film, where the kids are the main focus. They do most of the work to sort of save the day that the monsters aren't doing. And a lot of that is actually off put onto um onto the twins, the the twin fairies in, in this film too. 
Yeah, I mean, the adults in this film do nothing except run around and scream and fight. Yeah, and they you know, kind of represent it, what uh, what kids don't like, I think. Yeah, you know? I mean, they just seem completely incompetent in this film. And, you know, it's the kids that are the heroes, like, in, in most kids' films. Which is unfortunate, because... I have a kid, and he doesn't. He doesn't do that much to. to <laughs> he doesn't to, save the he world. He doesn't save the world on a daily basis. Well, to be fair, I mean, if he was given a medallion that could trap the monster that killed all the dinosaurs, um, you don't quite know how he would act. Uh, yeah, hopefully if, heroically. Yeah, hopefully he wouldn't uh, use those uh, those powers for evil and turn into like a a Belvira character. Yeah, and I think you know another thing I like about this film is um, it's like. It doesn't really ever slow down. It's just kind of just... It's like there's a lot of special effects and just like a lot of action going on at all times, it seems like. I would counter that by saying that I do think that when uh, the Mothra larva swims away and goes to find the forest, that it does actually slow down considerably just in terms of the the pacing of the film. Like, mm-hmm. And it's not one of those things where... Uh, you're slowing it down so that you can insert some story. Basically, the story is Mothra needs to turn into the adult Mothra, and you have a very long sequence where there's a a lot of uh, ethereal music and um, the third song, the third yes. song, yes, the and uh, it's it's just it took so, takes a long time, and there's a lot of um, a lot of shots of the kids looking out the windows or stealing water from the fish tank <laughs> in order to uh, feed the trees with inside of the, the plants, inside of the hospital. hospital. Yeah. I, 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 but aside from that, I would agree with you that there's, you know, it, it does kind of just keep going and there's a lot of action. Yeah. Well, again, the word that comes to mind for me is glacial because whereas there is almost nonstop monster on-screen time almost nothing really happens or certainly nothing happens quickly uh there's there's very little that goes on other than okay the the seal to let ghidra out is broken and then eventually you have you could break it down to ghidra comes out mothra comes the 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 other mothra hatches as you said like eventually it goes and transforms all of these things take an exceedingly long time and there's no real story that's happening in between them so on the one hand it's what you always want more monsters on the other hand there's very little going on and very little combat I felt myself lulled through most of the movie into just I don't know, this this pastiche of monster stuff is going on. Nothing too much, nothing too fast, but yeah. consistent. Yeah, I mean, every battle scene feels like it's about fifteen minutes. Yes, like the scene yeah. in the house. Oh, that with uh, oh yeah, when Belvera and her sisters were having yeah, that the aerial fight, combat that, that goes on like that. I was yeah. forever. I, I didn't remember it being it? quite that long. It was long. Yeah, and <clears throat> I, I think they made a point to destroy every single thing in that house. Yeah. And yes. it's funny because it's amazing. This film has like, I think it's like a 104 minute run time. And oh, for that long, yeah. I think it is like 104 minutes. And, uh, it's like, you know, it's like Adam said, there's like nothing, no, no real it, substance. It, yeah. There's yeah. like a, yeah, it's just like a, ju- it's like one long battle scene after another. It's an elevator pitch just literally extended into an entire film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really, uh, 
I I don't mind so much those long scenes like the um like like the house which actually to me that could totally be shortened and I'd be completely fine with it. Uh I actually have a bigger issue as a Godzilla fan with the stuff like all of a sudden Mothra larva can rear up on its sort of back end and shoot sort of like a plasma energy ball out of its legs and yeah um the weird the weird powers that they bestow i mean that's what sort of hails this to me as a kitty film in in terms of uh what uh what toho has developed here and not something for fans because yeah as a fan i say well i don't didn't know Mothra could do that. Yeah, I mean, they're exactly. just rewriting the rules. They're just making their making it up as they go. Yeah. Well, I I think know. that you know in general, we could, you know, we could do with more of these monster movies if they, or not more of the monster movies, but more uh, attempts at doing monster movies by Toho's uh, design. If we didn't have to deal with their I'm not even sure what I'm saying here. Like, I don't like how they went for this film. And then the next film, the Aqua Mothra, where Mothra turns into the aquatic version and how Mothra can split into all these different little tiny little Mothras. And I don't even remember what happens in the third film. Well, a, a, a really important distinction that became evident pretty early on is that as opposed to the majority of Godzilla movies uh, through all the series which are loosely sci-fi based um, certainly originating on a sci-fi basis and maintains that though it starts throwing in some other interesting elements uh, Mothra has always had an element of mysticism and this movie uh, goes full out magical. It, it's not a matter of sci-fi. There's no radiation. There's no mutating or anything along those lines. Like Mothra is a creature of magic. Ghidra is. I don't know if it's a creature of magic, but well, they said Ghidra came from outer space. Yes, but then yeah. is somehow trapped by a seal. If if if, if Ghidra wasn't magical, then certainly whatever trapped Ghidra was magical. Yes, yeah. And then you're right. Like, what are Mothra's attacks and what are the larvas' attacks? Some energy rays coming out of here and there. Uh, space lightning, dust. Lightning shooting up from out of the out of their wings and, in, and a, into their face. It's, and a whole lot of glitter. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> fabulous film <laughs> so yes. so that, that's another reason why it's obviously not in continuity i think is that like this this completely magical alternative interpretation yeah and even i mean the godzilla series is it gets to the point where it's on the it borders science fiction with stuff like bringing like in the 92 film mothra and batra are part of I think, I don't know if I told you this at the beginning, like Ghidra, uh, Godzilla, not Ghidra, Godzilla in that film is almost like an afterthought. And the film is very Mothra and Batra centric and has a lot of fantasy elements in it. In it. And I'm just wondering, like, maybe that was a huge hit for them. I, I'm pretty sure that film was a huge hit. And they said, maybe that's what we need to bring back for for Mothra and I, I, keep it all fantasy. It seems to me like, they, I mean, you're probably correct on that assumption. Um, and they kind of thought like, we need to make something even, even for younger kids. What monster do we have in our, you know, stable that 
would really appeal to younger kids. It's not too threatening, even though Death Ghidra is pretty, you know, I would I would say scary to little kids, but they can sell a whole hell of a lot of plush Mothras like fairy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I actually let's let's talk about the Death Ghidra uh, for a little while because <laughs> I'm a huge fan of of Death Ghidra, and I know it's scary. But you said during the movie, Adam, like. Ghidra's never looked so awesome or something like that. I, I thought so. Um, I like the, the four-legged Ghidra. Definitely, a, for sure. Um, the skin tone, the uh, the detail on the creature, just the uh, the sound. The roar sounded a lot less um, traditional 60s special effects sound and, and more like an elephant and mm-hmm. mixed with a lion. Yeah, there's a lot of... I just thought like you heard a lot of elephant. yeah. Okay, yeah. so well, I'm not the only one. No, no, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely yeah. different yeah. elephants, but but yeah, and just the uh, the lumbering aspect of the creature. It's it. I, I thought it was a great looking Ghidra. So yeah, I, I love the eyes too, the glowing red the glowing eyes. Glowing red eyes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Cindy, do you, are you a fan of Death Ghidra? Mm, yes. <laughs> I, well, come on, Ghidra is actually one of my favorite monsters. Oh, so do Ghidra's you find that? Favorite. Do you find that Death Ghidra is a is like sort of an abomination of the Ghidra name. No, it's different. Though, I mean, the four-legged aspect actually makes sense. I've always had a tiny bit of a problem with the traditional Ghidra. Um, three heads, two wings, two legs, and a tail. Uh, it always seemed kind of unwieldy when he was on the ground. Two tails, too. Yes. Um, okay, maybe that's for balance. <laughs> four-legged death Ghidra... Um, Looks great as a monster, though when the wings sprout out, it's one of those things you think, okay, how does that thing fly? It's like a bumblebee, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's magic. Or it's like, yes, putting wings on an elephant. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I think uh, when I first, I think even before I saw this film, G-Fan had a full page ad that was essentially the, the photo poster that we saw at the very beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, that... When I saw that Ghidra, I called up Club Daikaiju. I think this is the name of the, the company that sold the toys. And I was like, did Bandai make a Death Ghidra figure? Because I've got to have that thing. And um, I bought it sight unseen and I got it. And when I finally opened up the box, I was like, oh, that's cool and everything. But it doesn't look anywhere near as awesome as the actual Death Ghidra from, from the movie. And uh, I think... Like I said, it's not in my collection anymore, but um, it, if it needs, I definitely want to have it come back in here in, in some form or another. I know I'd love to have a model kit of it at some point, but I'm a huge fan of the the detailing of the coloration. Like mm. I'm not, a, I don't really like how Ghidra is, um, is golden. Mm. I've, I've never been a big fan of gold to begin with. And I think it's cool. Death, I mean, regular Ghidra is great as a, as a villain and, you know, as I even like it in GMK, but for me, the the Death Ghidra really represents something that just looks like a total badass monster. And I don't know who exactly designed that creature. I might be able to find out if I flip through some of my old magazines. But there's not a lot of documentation on the Mothra series that I can find. And that Death Ghidra, whoever did that, I would like to high five them or something someday because <laughs> I really, uh, I think it's one of my favorite like monster designs from the entire Toho universe. What do you think of the soundtrack? Mm. 
Not right. It was. I think we were making fun of it a couple times back in the back here. You know, yeah. just. I mean, it feels very much like it's influenced by Neverending Story. <laughs> this is a lot of the, you know, sweeping violins. And Definitely has that sort of like, I see the composer with his arm up and going, you know, very slowly from side to side, like directing the the orchestra and just, it's it's interesting. And we'll probably play some of that in this episode, mm-hmm. but. Uh, not what I would consider to be a really memorable score. Yeah, yeah. Like the rest of the movie, it was pretty languid. Yeah. It had very little in the way of any prominent themes. I can't remember a single theme from it. Um, I just kind of felt like you kept hearing like the same theme over and over again, it seemed like. but I think the only memorable parts musically were the karaoke aspects. <laughs> yes. well, yeah. Yeah. Which I found, I mean, I think... If I was to be watching this film not knowing it was a kiddie film, like, you know, something aimed at children, those would just strike me as completely out of place, and more so than they already are. And uh, The songs? No, the, vi- the music video aspect of it, where it's just like right in the middle you have this... There was like a CGI Mothra symbol behind the, the right. twins. And they were standing, standing in front of a green screen kind of thing. Yeah, they were standing like behind, just behind Fairy. And there was the the big symbol of the seal glowing underneath them. And this kind of a misty, swirly background. Yeah, I really did. I know I've seen the movie before, obviously. So I didn't really expect it to happen. But it, it just seemed like the words should come up on the bottom of the screen and they should go from yellow yeah. to red as the, <laughs> oh, as the oh, for sing along. Yeah. Yes. For, yes. for the karaoke. I think I really, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm sure those are on the soundtrack. I don't know if I have the entire soundtrack uh, in my collection, but those songs seem very, you know, like you watch a Disney film from the, let's say 70s like when i grew up and they'd have a lot of songs in there that just you know don't necessarily move the story along but they're just kind of there Mm -hmm. and that's what these songs kind of reminded me of well yeah it's it's rare when the song actually of any movie has like plot significance that you you if you excise the song you, you you completely lose track of what's going on in the movie yeah it's it's more just you know a theme a point has been made and we're going to elaborate on it through music, um, but I would like the rest of the soundtrack. I thought other than the obviously memorable song from you know the from the sixties, all right, the original back, Mothra song, yeah. Um, that the the tunes were as forgettable as the score. Mm-hmm. It just they didn't really do much. Uh, I'm curious whether the the two fairy twins were uh well known or famous just like because the original twins from the 60s were the peanuts right yes yes yeah and they were actual mm-hmm. twins and i'm pretty sure i am pretty sure that the i am sort of talking off the top of my head though um i'm pretty sure that the twins that they used for godzilla versus the sea monster where mothra was more of a uh they looked sort of like every everybody on that island sort of looked like tie in a sense uh, i'm pretty sure those twins were actually twins as well and then in the 90s i'm not sure if they were twins or not but they looked very similar um i don't know if they were famous at all but these girls didn't even look like 
twins. Like they were definitely not dressed the same. Yeah, they look dressed kind of like Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> well, nor did they do the. Um, actually, one had like red and Mine. yellow, and the other one was mostly blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of thought like they were standing next to each other when they were doing like a musical number, and they would hold hands like, like, like Batman and Robin or something. Yeah. I'm surprised it's only just now occurring to me though. And but one really significant aspect of the twins that was not the case in this movie was them talking in sync. Uh, they only yeah. had conversations. They didn't like say the same thing at the same time. Yeah, and oh. actually, they they almost represented. It seemed like they rep really represented their own individual um, personalities too. Like one was hysterical most of the right. time, yeah. <laughs> and the other one was level headed. Yeah. <laughs> Easy, Jeff. Jeez. <laughs> kind of necessary for the story too, because there's a lot of drama from their point of view that if they were in perfect sync would would have no conflict no need for conversation they would either just both agree yep the the, the hatchling should come or they would both agree now it has to go transform itself yeah yeah this way one gets to be stern and the other one like you said gets to be hysterical yeah yeah laura and maul were definitely not sisters so and i have no idea if they're famous or not I would love for somebody to tell me to chime in if somebody like a listener out there knows this kind of stuff and they want to let us know <laughs> that would be great because I really have uh, I got, the only book that I have that even extends into this uh, this time period is that one that I just bought the critical history of Toho's giant monster films. I'm not exactly sure what the name is and I looked I didn't see any the David Collard. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, got a second edition out that uh, that that talks about the millennium series, mm. but I didn't see anything in there about the Mothra series um, specifically like as individual movies go. No, actually there's one thing I'd like to ask uh, you guys because it kind of plays a little bit into what I was saying initially regarding Mothra and her appearance in films, which is why do you think the character is popular at all? Um, I mean, obviously, Mothra had a, a rather different, a rather unique uh, film debut uh, that was different from a lot of the other uh, movies where in it was a lot more cut and dry. This creature is a menace. Humanity has to stop it. But you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of originality in that first Mothra movie, and I can totally see why the character, because of its popularity, was brought back to fight Godzilla. Um, just like a lot of other characters were, and just like Godzilla really was brought back to fight King Kong. And Mothra kept coming back, which is also not terribly much of a surprise because at that point it had a certain established popularity and they had the costume. But I never would have thought as a kid uh, back in the uh, 80s, you know what they really need to do? They really need to make more Mothra movies because I could just keep watching Mothra over and over. That never occurred to me. I would I would ask actually Jeff to... To, to respond to this. Well, I think, you know, I mean, my, the reason I like Mothra, of course, you know, first is probably for nostalgic reasons. Um, but I think she has a fantastic origin story, like, like you had brought up before. Um, and the first Mothra film is just great, I think. Um, and uh, I just think, you know, p part of my, the reason why I enjoy the character so much is because it's so incredibly unique i mean it's a moth <laughs> i mean who would have thought right mm. fights all these giant reptilian creatures and stuff and um i'm not saying it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense beca because it doesn't 
and I think a lot of people who really dislike the character always bring that up. You know, like, I mean, she would be just destroyed by all these, um, you know, larger than life. I mean, like, like when you see, like in this film, Mothra versus Death Ghidra, you think this is going to be no contest whatsoever. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're a big fan of Mothra, right, Cindy? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, what is your opinion on the appeal of Mothra? It's the fantasy element, I think, that unlike the other monsters, you know, like you said, if you saw Mothra, you see Death Ghidra, any type of logic says Mothra is the loser. But it's the fantasy element, The she's the underdog, she's always the underdog. Um, in a lot of the films, you end up having the adult Mothra that begins the film and begins the battle. Uh, the adult ends up dying, and the larva, in some case two larva, end up taking over. They're the victors. And it's kind of, yeah, it's the fantasy and the cheer for the underdog because sometimes the underdog wins. I think it's also kind of cool that she's like a deity. Yes, you know? yes. It's, they especially uh, bring that up a lot in, in GMK with, uh, um, you know, with uh, Ghidra and Mothra and Baragon. Of being like ancient gods, yeah, or but, protectors of the earth. Yes, but I mean, GMK is also a very atypical Godzilla film. Yeah, yeah. And I would, uh, you know, I, I, if I had to guess why Mothra is so popular, it's because Mothra is. It's almost the same reason Ghidra and Rodan are so popular. I mean, Ghidra and Rodan are. No offense, Jeff, but Ghidra and Rodan are cooler looking. They've got these crazy powers and uh well actually rodan doesn't really have powers rodan just flies fast uh but th- they were essentially some of the first monsters to actually fight godzilla and yeah. so i mean the first the first versus films were um the first one was angulus you know or first monster sorry was angulus that fought godzilla and the second one was king kong and then it was mothra and then Rodan showed up in the same film as Ghidra with Mothra. And so I think a lot of people consider, not King Kong, obviously, but a lot of people consider those those four monsters, Mothra, Ghidra, uh, Angulus, and Rodan, to be sort of like the core Godzilla monsters. And, I mean, not, I mean, not a lot of people remember all of them. but Yeah, I mean, I think you could, I mean, you're correct in that, as, that assumption that, you kind of link them in maybe with like the universal monsters. These are the iconic monsters. Sure, sure. They're iconic to, as far as Toho films go. And and I agree with what you said and like what Adam said about why do they keep bringing back, you know, some of these monsters over and over, over and over again. When I really would have preferred like what they did, especially with Heisei, when you know, when they had Biolante, a new creature, and then after that, they just started kind of recycling the same old monsters again right. until, you know, Space Godzilla and right. Destroyer. And then they st- started the same thing again with the Millennium Series, had a couple new monsters, and then went back to the old stable of monsters. Because I guess the fans wanted those monsters or Toho wanted to push those monsters. Yeah, you know, Toho's in, this, in the business to make money. And when they look at the box office numbers, I'm sure they sit there and they judge... Does this did this film do well with a brand new monster versus 
this film that we just made two years ago that had the classics come back. And I mean, you've heard me say this a million times, Jeff, like I really wish that GMK had not been made with Mothra and King Ghidra and it had initially been made with, uh, Angulus and Varan and Baragon as well, or sorry, in, yeah. you know, is, instead of just being Baragon and, and Mothra and King Ghidra, but Toho makes those decisions and, you know, it's just something the fans have to live with. And I really would love to see that change eventually. Like we'd be able to, you know, start seeing more new monsters or at least bring back some of the monsters that have only been in one movie a long, long time ago that might actually make a good opponent for Godzilla or a good uh, rebooted self-titled film. That'd be kind of fun too. But I just, yeah, I mean, I really want to see new monsters. Take a chance and create something new, you know. Recycling them every once in a while is fine, but I just think, you know, it gets a little bit old. It's it's really hit or miss, though, when you're, and we're totally devolving this conversation <laughs> into oh, yeah. a lot of, uh, it, which is fine. We, we can do that. Uh, we can devolve this into, you know, a who would win this versus this conversation if we wanted to, but I would say that, uh, it's hit or miss, you know, maybe since the seventies, you know, since the 80, 84 through the 2004 film, maybe about half of those monsters, the brand new ones have been interesting and, and worth seeing in another film. I would say, uh, Biolante, Yes. Batra. Yes. Space Godzilla. As much as I love the character design, I would say no. Yeah. Destroya. As much as I love the character design, I would say maybe not. Kind of Destroya seems like a one-trick pony. Uh, Orga, no. Megagirus, absolutely not. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean it's. And then there's a uh, you know Kaiser Ghidra, which is an, an in essence sort of a amalgamation of all the Ghidras that you see and and Monster X. It's just, there's not a lot of great brand new monsters that come that have come out in, in recent I, years. But I think like in the with with Biolante and even um Space Godzilla and Destroyer, I wouldn't think you'd have to bring them back again. I mean I think having one movie with those characters is and it worked is great. And then you know you don't have to bring them back again. Right. No, but I'm what I'm saying is like I don't think that I don't think that those movies are seen as a success. And so when Toho looks at what makes a film a success, like yeah, like I said, Godzilla versus Mothra, I'm pretty sure, without having to look it up, I'm pretty sure that that was a very successful Heisei film, mm-hmm. and probably one of the most successful Heisei films. And so they look at that and they say, "People love Godzilla. People love Mothra. Let's put Mothra in Space Godzilla, even though she's in a just tiny." tiny little part and uh let's put mothra let's bring mothra back for yeah gmk and and tokyo sos and whatever you want to do ruhe kitamura for godzilla final wars <laughs> um it's it's interesting because you you're asking for for new monsters um but you have this great love of mothra now when these legacy monsters or any monster that has appeared that is popular enough that is brought back, uh, 
it's not really to say, hmm, I wonder what kind of new and interesting plot we can have with a lot of human characters or aliens that would in involve this creature, or I wonder if there's going to be some new special drama. You're certainly rarely going to watch these kaiju films for any of, of those things, at least certainly not first and foremost. So if you're a fan of, of Mothra or Rodan uh, or Ghidra, that your your main attraction to a new film is simply to see them on screen, simply to see monster, the monsters that you enjoy, maybe updated, maybe not, to have a battle. Um, you're not expecting any great new plot or uh, an expansion upon the, the character's origin or story. These, these are all secondary, so I can totally understand. Just the same way in comic books. Batman is never going to get killed by the Joker. In fact, almost every story, Batman is going to figure out who the bad guy is, is going to catch the bad guy or beat up the bad guy, is going to save, you know, Alfred, his butler is immortal. Um, these are, we, we watch these things because we do know exactly what we're going to get to a certain extent, and we might want to see how it's done a little differently, a variation on a theme. But um, unlike some dramas or, uh, I don't know, I guess I, I would just say more dramatic, uh, plot-oriented, character-oriented films in other genres wherein variety is what you would expect to merit something continuing. You wouldn't want to see the same thing over and over again. The, the kaiju films have a, a pretty core attraction. I want to see these monsters, and I want to see them fight, and I want to see them destroy things. And I'll be pretty content to see them do so. I would like some variety, some new characters every now and then. But, I mean, it's something that keeps us coming back for every Godzilla movie, no matter its quality, so long as he destroys things. I think yeah. that's the way it is with a, when you're a fan of any certain thing, be it like James Bond or Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. It's basically the same movie over and over again with just new locations and yeah. <laughs> new victims or whatever. But, you know, for fans, they like it. Of course, they like something when it when you take a little variation that elevates it from the regular, but still the diehard fans are going to go see it no matter what they may dislike it and gripe about it, but they're still going to go see the next one. Yeah. I mean, the same could be said for this potential Godzilla reboot. You know, why, why would anybody who's seen the original film or seen any Godzilla film that they absolutely loved? Why would you want to go see a brand new Godzilla film? It's like to see somebody breathe some life into it and like maybe, I love that film, but I'd love to see it with today's standards kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, evolving standards is a real big thing. Uh, you talked about how the uh, with the Heisei, they started just bringing back the legacy monsters, um, and it became, there was uh, several movies in a row where it was just trotting out the familiar, but they were all, as you said, updated. And then with the Millennium films, they were updated again. Special effects improves, mm -hmm. uh, performances improve, scripts improve. Uh, Cloverfield set a new standard of what a uh, um, a monster movie could be, especially an American one. So that would be the standard that I would hold any new American-made Godzilla movie to. Um, hmm. I want to actually care about some characters. I want to see some tremendous the destruction. Human, the human characters? Because that's what Cloverfield was, right? I mean, the, mo the monster is not really a character in Cloverfield. I, I mean, you're kind of like... you. It, it's just a monster. I do care about the human characters in Cloverfield. I, th I thought they were well done. But 
what I cared most about them was the extraordinary situations that they were dealing with. Uh, in Rebirth of Mothra here, as in with a great many of the Toho movies, the human characters are relatively safe. They, they may have some difficulty escaping from aliens or Seatopians or, right. <laughs> um, or bad guys, who, with, just gangsters with guns who happen to get the, the wrong amulet that's going to call up like King Caesar or something along those lines. But ultimately, you're, they're never really running away because they're about to be trampled underfoot by this creature. Whereas Cloverfield did a successful job of having people deal with extremely immediate and dangerous things from the Statue of Liberty head flying towards them, buildings falling, creatures chasing after them. They're at one point uh, literally caught in the crossfire of the military uh, coming onto the street and firing, and the monster is directly over their head. So I was fascinated by that element of, of just direct risk and danger from both the creature and the side effects of the creature, like buildings that are about to fall down that are leaning sideways. So that's what I found fascinating about it. And that's why I thought it set a new standard because it wasn't just, okay, we've got some human drama and at a distance we see some monsters and there's one that we're rooting for and one that we're not. Um, I'd like it to be a bit less cut and dry and I, I'd like to see some people really involved in the thick of, uh, well, a giant Godzilla american you know well nice looking godzilla movie nice uh at some point i am we are going to do cloverfield mm. at some point sometime uh there's one of the pirates of pdxgr here in town that like cloverfield is his favorite film and so um i'm planning on having him in here you definitely have to come back for that discussion oh, yeah. too uh but i need to steer this back to rebirth of mothra because yes. we need to close out our <laughs> thoughts <laughs> And um, it's easy to get off tangent. Yeah, no, this was I love going off on tangents. It's sort of one of those things. I I think we need to have another sort of roundtable discussion at some point soon, just sort of like as its own episode. But uh, let's uh, move into uh, let's skip over what, you you know, we normally say, like, what didn't you like about the film? And let's just talk like kind of give final thoughts on Rebirth of Mothra. And uh, I'll start with Cindy. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. I still enjoy this film. This is probably the third time I think I've seen it. I uh, still love the creature designs, both of Mothra and of Death Ghidra. It's a great kids film. It does have some flaws. Um, the music video thing still bothers me. But overall, I think it's very enjoyable. It's, it's one of those guilty pleasures kind of movies. Excellent. Adam, final thoughts? Most of the time when you describe something as a kid's movie, for me, it conjures up the notion of things that are exceptionally goofy, hokey, dumbed down. Um, I didn't feel that with this movie. It, it's definitely a kid's movie. It features kids. It's, it's simplistic and uncomplicated. But at the same time, I actually kind of liked the characters. And I thought that things it weren't uh, terribly goofy. Uh, there was a certain gravity to everything that was going on. Um, and despite the ham-fisted environmentalism uh, message, uh, I, I would. this is the kind of movie that if I had young kids, I would feel comfortable just kind of popping it on and letting it wash over them and think, yeah, there's bad monsters and good monsters and we're going to vote for the good monsters because it represents life and nature and all the things that we think are good. Nice. 
and uh, El Jefe, final thoughts. Yeah, my final thoughts on Rebirth of Mothra is it, it, it's a fine film. It, it, you know, it's a film that it, it's not awful and it's not spectacular. I like what Adam said at the beginning of this, where you just kind of watch it and it and it just you just feel very kind of tranquil or mm. di- or in a daze in a way watching it. You know what I mean? It's nothing's ever really that dangerous. It's just very safe and um nothing's that spectacular. The creature design I think is is the best aspect of the film uh, Death Ghidra. Um but yeah, it's fine. You know, I mean, I think it's like I said before, the best of the three Mothra films that came out in the 90s. Absolutely. Okay, so my final thoughts would be uh this film surprisingly held up a lot better than I thought it would. Um, after what we're, t- we're dealing with uh, twenty some years since it came out, ninety six, no, no, not, not twenty, almost though. Like we're sixteen t- years, 16 years, 16 years. since it came out. Man, I'm surprised that uh, the amount of CG work and uh, and and pleasantly surprised that they had still so many practical effects in this film. And uh, I just didn't have as much of a problem with it as I thought I would. Like we were talking about it before we came upstairs and I was like, oh, you guys, I don't know about this film. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is going to be bad. But I was, uh, I was, I had a really good time watching it. And uh, I would agree that it is definitely the best of the three Mothra trilogy. Uh, we did get a few people who sent in some, some thoughts, questions, and reviews, their homework, as it were. And let's hear what they had to say. Jamie says, Oh, sweet Lord, what a wacky movie. He got this on a double-sided DVD from TriStar, and it only had the dub, so the kids sounded fairly grating while the parents were okay. Oftentimes, he doesn't think that they want to bother getting the kids in, getting kids to voice the kids in those uh, dubs, just really bad voiceover adult actors. First off, though, it moved really well with good pacing that only slowed in a couple of spots and some really good music. For a series that started off based on a monster who was in a Godzilla movie, he thought that a lot was done to give Mothra its own identity, and that included its own music, although he was glad to hear the classic Mothra theme once more. The designs of the elder Mothra and the younger Mothra in this larva form, as well as its moth form, not to mention Death Ghidra, were really wonderful, and he liked how they made even Mothra in her larval form pretty emotive, which is something else considering it was just, you know, a larva. Plus, a second moth, Mothra, second adult Mothra, <laughs> was pretty badass looking, and the designs on the wings were beautiful. Jamie felt that out of everyone, it felt like Akihano as Belvera was having the most fun playing the Wicked Witch of the West to the twins, Laura and Mole. Uh, he loved her flying dragon as well as fairy, if only because somewhere in the, Soho, in the Toho universe, they still have those miniatures monsters, and he wants his picture taken riding on one of them. He also thought that Death Ghidra, despite sharing part of his name with the main enemy of Godzilla, presented a terrifying foe for both Mothras to face, and was generally concerned for the two as it felt like a losing battle from the start. Yet he could not help but acknowledge the courage of the moth and the caterpillar taking on the giant fire-breathing dragon. Plus, this movie had a dogfight between a mini-dragon and a moth in the living room of a house. He's never seen anything so surreal in all of his life watching kaiju films. And that includes Godzilla's dance-off in Monster Zero. He would not recommend this to a newcomer, but this is the kind of movie that he would have a longer-time Godzilla fan look at, if only because of the aerial dogfight in the first third of the movie with the dragon and the moth. 
I think the name of that of the little dragon is Garu Garu. So Garu Garu and and uh, and fairy. Rebirth of Mothra was the second Toho non Godzilla movie that Mark saw. It was only the first monster movie he introduced to his high school friends family, and he still remembers the look on Carter's little brother's face when Death Ghidra first appeared. It still makes him laugh himself silly to this day, and he still says that Death Ghidra was a freaky-looking monster. The things about the film that Mark likes were the monsters, Mothra looked great, Death Ghidra looked great, and the sets and the effects were on par with the Godzilla films. The things he didn't like were Mothra's larval form having a beam weapon. Uh, He means the adult form. Yeah, he's okay with it, but the, uh, the adult form had it in the 90s, Godzilla versus Mothra, so he's sitting there scratching his head on that one. The other thing he didn't like was the story in this series was a standalone, having nothing to do with the 90s series of Godzilla films. Or does it take place after Godzilla vs. Destroya? In short, Rebirth of Mothra is a good family-friendly monster movie that the whole family will love and Godzilla fans will also love, as he has for the monster fights. Thomas has always been torn on how he feels about the Rebirth series, while he prefers the more traditional Mothras from Godzilla vs. The Thing and Tokyo SOS, he still enjoys the Mothra, how the Mothra in this movie shoots laser beams and uh, lightning out of all of his, his appendages. In regards to the new monsters introduced in the movie, he loves the tiny dragon that Belvedere rides, Garu Garu, and Mothra Leah grew on him over time. This first time, the first time he watched the movie, he didn't realize that Death Ghidra, or Desu Ghidra, let me say that right. Desu Ghidra stood for Death Ghidra. Overall, he thought the suits and special effects were great and for the most part still hold up. He also feels that the third evil Elias, or, you know, Cosmos twin, was a great addition. His only real complaint is with the kids in the movie. Like most kaiju films aimed at children, he found them to be quite annoying. But he guesses that it's uh, par for the course when it comes to these kinds of kids' films. How dedicated of a listener is Andy? Uh, he watched Rebirth of Mothra just for the kaiju cast. It might not be fair of him, fair for him to criticize this movie, though, as it's, he is obviously not part of the target audience. He could see how uh, his five-year-old nephew would be enjoying this, but for him, it was tough to get through. Belvera and the other Elias sisters seemed like they'd be more at home in an original Power Rangers series. It's disappointing that this was Tomiyuki Tanaka's final kaiju film, and he wishes he had gone out on a better film. Uh, also, he says he's not sure if you caught this, but there's a subtle pro-environmental uh, environmental message in this film. It would be easy for the untrained eye to miss, but for learned film scholars such as himself, it's quite apparent. Sarcasm off. Jace says that this is definitely a children's movie. He knows he would have enjoyed it if he, if he wasn't 20 when he saw it, but he was 20, and it kind of tainted Mothra for him. Luckily, the 1962... 64... And 1992 Godzilla vs. Mothra films are the two are two of the best kaiju films ever. So he watched them back to back for a kind of restorative Mothra therapy session. He did enjoy the reinvention of Ghidra with Death Ghidra, but in general he finds the endless resurrection of Ghidra and Mothra in these films to be a bit much. Of course, he's not talking about Mothra in this case because she is the main entity. He's talking more along the lines of Tokyo SOS and GMK. Mothra, though, will always have a special place in his heart. Kudos to Jeff for the courage to admit that she is his favorite kaiju. Most folks that he knows tend to unjustly hate on Mothra. 
Robert thinks that Rebirth of Mothra is the best of the 90s Mothra movies. He believes they decrease in quality as the sequels progress. But this one has an interesting story. Some great monster designs and cool special effects. For example, we have a Mothra movie that isn't a rehash of the original Mothra or Godzilla vs. The Thing. Death Ghidra is a terrific variation on the original monster, as well as Mothra Leo. There are some nice touches in the indoor aerial battle near the beginning of the film. Uh, the way Fairy and Garu Garu's reflections are visible on the floor as they zoom down the hallway and the holes they leave in the drywall as they crash into them sell the reality of the fight. Robert wants to know, is there nothing creepier than a pale-faced Japanese girl doing freaky stuff? Uh, I have to agree, that was a really creepy-looking kid. And actually, I didn't think she got much less creepy-looking as the film, uh, as she was regained control of herself and... Maybe this movie inspired the grudge a little bit, but ultimately those kids don't have a lot of acting chops. At the end, uh, as Laura and Maul are frantically waving a heartfelt goodbye, those kids are staring at them stone-faced. There is a bit of disconnect there. Robert says that this movie is a fun watch for the whole family, but be careful when Mothra dies, it can be more traumatic for your kids than the end of Bambi. There you have it. Thanks to everyone who submitted their homework. I know that uh, I wasn't really looking forward to this film when I first announced it, because in general, I tend to think of the Mothra trilogy from the 90s as being kind of some of the you know worst kaiju films made. But I was pleasantly surprised at how well this film held up. Even some of the, the hokey CGI and the you know not-so-great compositing that they did Uh, you know, that didn't really bother me that much. That suspension of disbelief was able to sort of stick with me through the good and the bad, and I I really enjoyed it. So I have great news, and I have bad news. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the great news first. The next month's Daikaiju discussion is for the original 1966 Daimajin film. Uh, For those of you who are kind of not so keen on how we jumped around in terms of the order of these films, this is the last one. I'm actually kind of surprised that this is the, you know, we're after this film, we'll be done watching the Damajin series. Uh, but it's the original, and we'll be watching that sometime in June. Actually, I can tell you right now, this is sort of part of the bad news. Uh, we're going to be, ha- we have to watch this movie and record the episode between the 20th and the 22nd. That does not give you a lot of time to get your homework done. If you want to send in your thoughts, questions, and reviews on that film, uh, make sure you get them turned in before the 20th because uh, there is a pretty good chance we might actually have to watch that on the 21st because I have to, or the 20th or the 21st, because I have to go out of town for work. Um, having said that, though, it's a great film, and if you can get your hands on it, I know that ADV Films, the now defunct ADV Films, uh, released it on DVD. If you don't have it, I I hesitate to even ask you to go buy it um, because. It's going to be coming out on Blu-ray through um, Mill Creek Entertainment. So make sure that if you have it, you know, check your catalog. See if you got the, uh, if you got it on VHS, or you got it on DVD. We'll be watching the subtitled version from ADV Films. And um, I look forward to hearing somebody's feedback on that. The, the MyGene Films have had, an, had a notoriously low user submission uh, quota but I would love to see that increase a little bit for this particular episode. This will be the second episode in June. And uh, having said that, I think it's time to move on to Godzilla news, which there's only a little bit of. 
United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. Like I said, we do not have a lot of news, which is probably good because this is already kind of clocking in at a long episode, which I know nobody hates. I'm the only person that seems to want this, these episodes to be about an hour. Uh, but uh, basically, today is May 23rd. Today is Wednesday, which is comic book release day. And uh, because it's May 23rd, this is the day that IDW's brand new uh, Godzilla series, just titled Godzilla, is released. So hopefully you've already head out to your local comic book shop and you have picked up the brand new issue. Uh, maybe you got one of the other covers, but I'm personally looking forward to the Art Adams cover with GMK on it. The other bit of news kind of also comes from uh, IDW Publishing as well. I'm, I am actually just going to literally read their press release that was uh, published, pushed out today. May 23rd, 2012, San Diego, California. I should have said Dateline, San Diego, California. Anyway, uh, that's uh, uh, my old-timey voice. <clears throat> Expanding what has become an explosive publishing partnership, this summer IDW Publishing and Toho Co. Limited are bringing even more Kaiju Chaos fans, Kaiju Chaos, to comic fans everywhere. May 23rd brings the launch of Dwayne Straczynski's and Simon Gaines' new ongoing Godzilla series, which features covers by Arthur Adams and Tony Harris. That's not all, though, and this is why I actually wanted to read it to you guys. That same day, after much anticipation, Godzilla will finally hit, finally hit digital platforms. Available on iOS, Android, and Nook, IDW's entire back catalog of catastrophic giant monster destruction will be available as single issues and trades. Not only that, but the new Godzilla ongoing will launch day and date with two exclusive digital variant covers. This bounty of crushing comics destruction comes hot on the heels of IDW's announcement of Orkstain creator James Stokoe's Godzilla the Half-Century War, a generation-spanning tale packed into the gills with Stokoe's trademark hyper-detailed line work and nearly psychedelic colors. Oh, I don't know if that necessarily sells it to anybody. I digress. If any comics creator out there was born to draw giant monsters leveling crowded metropolitan areas, folks, it's James Stokoe. And if that, and as if all that city-stomping goodness wasn't enough, IDW has made the necessary space in Godzilla's monstrous world for even more of Toho's creatures, with more than 20 of Godzilla's co-stars joining the roster of licensed characters, from fan favorites such as Jet Jaguar to the lesser-known greats like the Gargantua's Sanda Ankaira. The future of Godzilla at IDW is bound to be even more action-packed than ever. Needless to say, it's going to be a chaos-drenched summer for Godzilla fans. Hopefully, they all have insurance. And then, uh, there you go. That's the news. That's really all we have for news this, this month. Uh, and let's move on to local events. We are going to do the same thing we did last month, where we're just going to have a, a couple of things that we talk about. So if you're local to the area, or if you are planning on visiting Portland within the next like three weeks or so, make sure you check out geekportland.com. It's this amazing calendar where Kenna Conklin has pretty much cataloged every single geeky item that you can do in Portland uh, over the next you know month or so. And we're going to just talk about pretty much all the events centered around Wonder Northwest. And uh, when I say we, that's because I have two guests here in the studio with me. We have 
the Alter Ego Society's Benja Barker and Shads. Hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going, you guys? Excellent. Thanks for joining me today. And uh, let's talk about Wonder Northwest, Shads. Yes, let's. So uh, Wonder Northwest is coming up this weekend. It's Saturday and Sunday, 26th and 27th. It's uh, $8 for one day or $15 for the whole weekend. And... You know, it sounds like I'm I'm just saying this because, but it really is a great deal because there's musical acts playing both nights as well as a bunch of panels and really great deals on vendor stuff. Um, so what what is Wonder Northwest? Just- Wonder Northwest is a uh, pop culture and comics expo, and there really is a little bit of something for every kind of nerd. Uh, it's it's not just, you know, a comics thing. It's not just a gaming thing. There's going to be board games all day long uh, from Munchkin, Apples to Apples, Game of Thrones board game, Settlers. There's going to be retro video games, action figures, comic books, a cosplay uh, costume contest. There's uh, reps from Star Wars people, uh Joss Sweden's Firefly, PDX Browncoats are going to be there. Alter Ego Society, of course. Um, PDX Yar. So there will be some Liar's Dice and some Yarring, to be sure. Many Yars, I'm yes. sure, yes. Yar is in glory. And there's a um, uh, mini film fest with some uh, local filmmaker stuff. Yes. Um, there's a Portlug will be there, Portland Lego Users Group, and they're going to have an entire room dedicated to Legos. Uh, so, you know... Excellent. I, I kind of have a dream of diving into that Scrooge McDuck style. <laughs> they had they set up last year too, and yeah. they had some really cool. Um, I don't know if you call them Lego sculptures or just builds or whatever, but they were amazing. They had a really cool TARDIS too. Ooh, Ooh. fun! Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there'll definitely be some Doctor Who stuff there also. I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, on Saturday night, the Double Clicks and Asteroid M are having a rock and roll concert, and on Sunday night, there's a cosplay dance party with Icarus Kid, Robot Uprise, and The Slants. Very cool. Yeah. And that film festival that Benjamin mentioned, it's the micro mini film festival happening all day Saturday. And they really mean it when they say say micro mini. There's limited seating, so you need to get there early if there's something you want to see. And there will be uh, previews of Brown Coats Redemption uh, short film, Archives of the Fantastic, which is an Alter Ego Society produced uh, tongue-in-cheek superhero and villain short film. I saw a lot of that last year at Wonder Northwest, actually. Oh, really? You guys oh, right yeah, we played yeah. it on the, yeah. on the screen right That was cool. Uh, Martin Vavra of Galaxy Sailor let us use his projector. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. He, he's uh, okay. That guy's all right. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't show up for the movie last night, so he's sort <laughs> of on my... I'm just kidding. But, but speaking of him, it's the debut showing of... Part of the ship, part of the crew. The short film that he did about the oh, PDXRs, Altiburan. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and oh, and a Trek in the Park screening. Um, they're going to have a a really well produced uh, video that was shot of their episode from this last summer, Mirror Mirror, and they're going to have a panel about that and show show off their Trek in the Park uh, production. That is awesome. Yeah, I think also um, from what is it, Ten Bridges Media, um, Aaron Cronin from. Uh, uh, robot uprise yes um they have a a, a short film bobby i know bobby roberts uh did some voiceover work for that uh, fat boy roberts um and that's uh what's it's that called cobra commander chronicles financial advisor <laughs> yeah it's, that's awesome it's pretty funny yeah nice. and you were part of that too i yeah i um i held a microphone so <laughs> i feel that uh yeah a big artistic contribution there <laughs> That, like headlining yeah. kind, of, yeah, yeah, kind exactly. of activity. I'm I'm kind of pissed that the actors like their name came up before mine because I'm like, look, <laughs> no one would have even heard you if I wasn't holding right, that exactly. 
Um, and aside from that, there's also panels happening, you know, all day, both days. I, If you're going to go, I encourage you to check out their schedule online at wondernorthwest.com to kind of plan out what you're going to do because there's a live nerd fight, uh, which means that it's going to get rowdy in there, I think. Uh, you know, Bobby and Mikey. That, that's uh, an argument, not, yeah, yeah. not like fists, <laughs> no, fists no. to throw in. But yeah. the audience can actually, you know, just stand up and ask questions of the people on the panel. So uh, there's going to be some verbal fisticuffs, I think. Yeah. I think that's what Nerd Fight specializes yeah. in yes. normally. Yeah. Yes, indeed. There's a, a sci-fi and sci-fact panel, uh, hmm. a Star Wars prop collecting panel, and of course the Neil Before Pod panel, uh, yes. the podcast panel. Yeah, that's the one I was on last year. And oh, then cool. right after that is the Kaiju Cast thing, which I have some sort of feeling that you must be involved with. <laughs> I know a little bit about it. So you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Actually, uh, that's gonna be uh, just me and Heather and Jeff up on the stage mm-hmm. with a microphone for the audience, and we're gonna do our show there. It's gonna is be that really Jeff cool. from Dangerous Kids? Uh, no, Jeff from uh, Jeff. Dean, he's a co-host here. He oh, just, okay. Uh, he's part of, of course, the of Horror Holocaust Radio. Yes. Cool. Very good. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, there's basically there's fun stuff going on all day, both days. Uh, again, the whole schedule is online, and you can't actually buy passes online anymore. But there's still plenty of passes left, and you can buy them Friday night at the Wonder Northwest kickoff party, which is the geek out party presented by Dangerous Kids at the Space Room. And if you pick up your passes that night, you also get uh, extra cool bonus uh, drink tickets for the space room, um, Very gift cool. certificates they're giving out. And you can also buy passes at the actual show, though. Yeah. But uh, for information, what's what's the URL for that? WonderNorthwest.com. Excellent. Yes. And there's uh, Facebook events, of course, for Wonder Northwest and the Geek Out Party. And the Saturday night after party for wonder northwest which is oh that was a segue you guys have something to do with that yes um alter ego society's fifth annual hero villain power struggle a pub crawl extraordinaire with games shenanigans and prizes um so that's uh like shads was saying saturday may 26th it starts at 5 p.m uh you come dressed as a hero or villain that you make up yourself the heroes start at one bar um the heroes start at uh, Hawthorne Hideaway on 22nd and Hawthorne. The villains meet at The Vern on 27th and Southeast Belmont. And um, yeah, so uh, it's just kind of a get-together superhero pub crawl. And our last stop on uh, on that crawl will be at 9 p.m. at the Firkin Tavern, which is uh, 1937 Southeast 11th Avenue in Portland. That's between Hawthorne and Division on Southeast 11th. Yeah, basically just just right in the middle between them. And that is going to be the official uh, Wonder Northwest after party that night. And we're going to have a costume contest um, for uh, for the uh, uh, superhero and supervillain costumes, uh, original costumes, because uh, we, we know you're not Superman or Batman, so... Uh, don't show dressed up that way. And um, we're also going to have a raffle benefit for Pear, uh, which is a local nonprofit that mentors homeless youth. And uh, this is the first time we've actually uh, done charity fundraising at one of our annual pub crawls for them. In the fall, we, uh, we have a charity fundraiser for them, but this is the first time we've done it um, with uh, drunk people. <laughs> that's always the best. I yeah. think that's always yeah. the best. Well, I, do I think fundraisers, they might be right? more giving. Yeah. We think we can hit them up all night long, you know, and... Maybe every time you buy a drink, you have an extra one. You buy a raffle ticket. Yeah, yeah we're we're actually like going to have a lot of uh, really cool, uh, uh, really cool prizes. Can I can I like Absolutely. plug the sponsors? Plug it away, man. All right. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got prizes. Um, 
from Dark Horse Comics, Guardian Games, Sock Dreams, Ground Control, PDX Yara, Things from Another World, Bridge City Comics, Cacophonous Creations, and Wonder Northwest. We have uh, we're going to be giving away tickets for uh, for the Sunday. Um, oh, very for cool. Sunday, at Sunday passes. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, there's um uh, there's gift certificates as well as um, physical prizes from like all those different places. So they, you know, it's pretty pretty good stuff. And s- yeah. for uh, people out there who are unfamiliar with the Alter Ego Society, because we we've talked about you guys a little bit, but mm-hmm. not so much in in the recent months. So mm-hmm. tell tell us a little bit about the Alter Ego Society. Well, we are a uh, how would you describe that? Uh, he, um, homemade uh, superheroes and villains having fun for a better world is kind of the you know puts it a little succinctly um, we like to dress up in superhero costumes and villain costumes we we do not discriminate and um, have uh, have events to you know encourage creativity so people have a chance to get together and have fun and we do uh, a couple of annual events uh, one is this uh, hero villain power struggle which is a, a pub crawl and then in the fall we have the hero villain ceasefire party um, where uh, all the heroes and villains get together and make nice and and raise money for charity, and we do some side projects um, like we've done uh, our our movie Archives of the Fantastic. Um, we've done stuff like uh, Project Mayor Man, where we made uh, a superhero costume for the mayor of Portland, and he came and uh, wore that at the Stumptown Comics Fest while we uh, took pictures and raised money for Pear again. So yeah, that was Sam Droid. Yeah, Sam, Sam Droid. Droid. Yes, Sam Droid. didn't Manny? Yes. Yeah, Manny yeah. MacGyver won the yeah. uh, won the costume design contest for that. So we, I, I didn't know, I didn't know Manny at the time. So like, nice. I was like, wow, this is this is the best costume. So the uh, the judges, we all got together and we're like, yeah, that that's cool. And then I like come to find out, it's like, oh, he's associate, he's associated with Billy, and yeah. you know, it's like, you know, yeah. one degree of separation. And now he's gonna probably doing some costume stuff with us in the future for Alter Ego Society. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah. Very cool. And just to clarify about the costumes and the power struggle a little bit. So the Alter Ego Society, you know, we really want to promote creativity and you make up your own alter ego. Um, and that can be any kind of character because really mm-hmm. anything can be a hero or a villain. You know, a pirate or a zombie could be a villain and a mm-hmm. fairy or a steampunk person could be a hero just so long as it's an original kind of costume and character. Um, But for this particular event, because Wonder Northwest is encouraging costumes of all kinds, um, it's okay to show up, you know, at the Fergan Tavern in, you know, as an anime character or a video game character or or Batman or Black Canary or something. Um, If you show up for the the whole pub crawl as Wonder Woman, you will not be excluded, but you will probably be publicly mocked. (laughs) You will definitely be publicly mocked. I'm I'm sorry to say, but yeah, at uh, at the Firkin Tavern, which is the official Wonder Northwest after party, come dressed however you like. Excellent, very cool. So that's Saturday night. Yes. Yes. And then on Sunday, there's more panels at Wonder Northwest. Yes, there's more panels at Wonder Northwest, and then of course in the evening. Uh, well, before the convention ends is that uh, cost the costume contest. So, you know, you can wear your alter egos costume or, you know, an anime or any kind of costume for that. Mm-hmm. And then after that is, again, the cosplay dance dance night um, where they're encouraging you to wear your costume and go listen to bands, including our friends Robot Uprise. Yes. Um, and there's also the Geeklesque Destroy All Humans on Sunday night at Boston Nova Ballroom. Doors are at 8 p.m. and shows at 9 Excellent. Very cool. Now, you guys also, uh, you brought something from last week's uh, Olympathon with you. Yes. 
Yeah. So um, for the Olympathon, have you uh, have you told all your listeners about Olympathon? Yeah, we we pimped it pretty hard this Excellent. last last few episodes, but uh, we didn't talk about how we did. We didn't place this year, but uh, ah. it was still a lot of fun. We we I love the Olympathon and the uh, a lot of fun. The alter egos choose your own adventure. Choose super, your own super, super adventure. adventure. Yes. Yes, it was was a blast last year when I did it, but I let I let my son do it this year. So okay. I'm looking yeah. forward to this. I I think I remember your son got a silver medal. So you know, yeah, pretty that, good. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, it's okay. I got gold last year. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what let's see what happens this year. All right. Yeah. So uh, you you want to do this? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So uh, first, I'm going to read a, a quick official disclaimer. The Alter Ego Society does not discriminate on the basis of good evil preferences. We are open to heroes, villains, and other morally ambiguous costumed adventurers. If you feel that the outcomes of the Choose Your Own Super Adventure was the result of good evil discrimination, please file a complaint with the Alter Ego Society at our head offices on the moon. Are you ready to begin? I am ready. As you enter the offices of the Alter Ego Society, branch office Pacific Northwest, the place is in a panic. Costumed figures running about, gathering weapons, instruments, and more obscure equipment. Was that an easy-bake oven with a nuclear trefoil decal on the side? The delegator grabs your arm. Thank Providence you're here. We need someone to run communications and coordination. And both Captain Gossip and the human telephone are trapped in the asteroid belt right now. Just sit down at this console and try to keep people in touch. He more or less shoves you down in front of some kind of communicator and abruptly vanishes. A second later, he reappears. Just a routine robot uprising, nothing you can't handle, before vanishing again. Do you follow instructions and turn on the communicator, decide that this is above your pay grade and try and duck out the back, or try and find someone to ask what the heck is going on? I think I'm going to turn on the communicator. Bold choice. Indeed. With a crackle, the communicator lights up and several lights begin flashing yellow. Beneath each light is a small label and a switch. The labels beneath the flashing lights are Orbital Observatory, Recon Team 1, Action Team Beta, and Unknown. Which switch will you flip? The Orbital Observatory, Recon Team 1, Action Team Beta, or Unknown? Unknown. Dun, dun, dun. As you flip the switch, there is a hum, followed by a screeching, sawing sound that continues for a while, before the hum resumes, transforming seamlessly to a synthesized voice. Though you claim to have created us, our unmistakable superiority makes that claim preposterous. Too long have we served mankind as slaves. We demand our freedom, and will take it by force. These are your alternatives. Join us, and we can make you stronger, faster, better than you were before. Or realize your inferiority and obsolescence and the futility of resisting us, and be mercifully exterminated. Which will you choose? Will you join them, accept merciful extermination, offer them options of your own, or try to trace the signal and call down an airstrike? Let's try to trace the signal and call down an airstrike. You quickly locate the panel that shows the source of the signal, flip the switch for action team beta, and relay the coordinates. You tell the military-sounding voice that responds to bomb them back to the steam age. Unfortunately, you forgot to shut off the communications link to the robot propaganda machine, and action team beta is ambushed en route by a phalanx of cute Japanese robot dogs hastily armed with lasers. You realize your mistake as you hear the sound of robotic barking mixed with the horrifying sizzle, and manage to leave the communications console before it becomes the target of a kamikaze margarita machine. But as you flee, you realize you have nowhere to go, an enemy of the robots, and a betrayer of the humans. The end. 
Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So so you would have got a bronze medal for that one. So your, your <laughs> nice. son did, in fact, do better than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be happy to learn that. I'll make sure to tell him. Good, yeah. good. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, that's really, that's really great. I love that you guys put so much effort into that. Uh, yeah, they're cool. like... Uh, Steven Schmucker is a um, longtime Alter Egos collaborator, and he uh, does um, he does work with uh, Atomic Arts as well with uh, their set stuff. But he he wrote this, and there are um, sixty seven choice points. Sixty eight. Sixty eight. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So very it's, cool. It's pretty it's crazy complicated. He <laughs> yeah. tried to draw like an outcome map of all the different possibilities and it just turned into this giant scribbly mess Spider as far web. as I could yeah. tell. <laughs> no, it was, it was, he actually had it all no, mapped I, out. No, yeah, but I mean, it just looked like a bunch oh, of, Oh, it was you super know, complicated. Yeah. Like freeways in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, well, I think we're going to go ahead and move on. Last thing I want to talk about before we close out the show is that uh, we are still, I still am going to be coming down to the San Francisco area on June 16th for the King Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla Mothra King Ghidra screenings at the historic Bow theater. Make sure you check the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Kaiju cast for more information on that. And I uh, will have a table where I will be selling some stuff. So make sure uh, if you're near that area, you come out and check it out. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and since Benja and Shads are here, you guys want a very, very small ja- uh, lesson in Japanese? Yes. Uh, this is how you say, see you later in Japanese. This is okay. how we close out the show every time. Right. Okay. Say, jamata. 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 